You are listening to the Mom Halo Podcast. This sweet ear candy will serve up laughs and aha moments as we talk to best-in-class thought leaders. These folks are dropping gems of genius. I'm Melana Kapitz, CEO and founder of the Mom Halo community. I'm a fun, fearless, freckled mom with three wild kiddos. I love to introduce you to ideas and people that will rock your world all while laughing out loud because that is the only way to get through the daily grind of parenthood. Plug in your earphones and let's get to them. Wouldn't it be great to shop online without worrying about the way something fits or if you got the right size? If you haven't heard of Smithery Style yet, you're going to want to. They're an online shop who has made many appearances at Mom Halo events in the past. They not only sell gorgeous pieces that they like to refer to as elevated basics, but their mission is to have women across the country feel confident in their day-to-day from the moment you step in front of your closet to get dressed in the morning. How do they do that? By helping you figure out your body shape, giving style tips for those shapes, figuring out your wow colors, modeling the clothes on real women, and curating collections each season of the best pieces for all different body shapes. Watch their daily try-ons over at Instagram, Smithery Style, or head to their website to figure out your shape now. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to your Mom Halo podcast. I'm your host, Alana Kapitz, and I'm super excited to have Susie Begin here with us in our studio. Woo! <laughs> okay, Susie, take us through who you are and what you do, where you're from. Go ahead. Sure. Um, so I am a mom, first and foremost. I have two kids. Um, they're teenagers now, so I have a 15-year-old and a 19-year-old. Um, I'm also the owner of a daycare, um, I guess you can call it a chain. We have three locations now. Um, it's called Alpha's Discovery Kids, preschool and daycare. And there's two locations in Mississauga, one in Oakville. And I just authored a new book called Learn to Play. So I'm um, you know, kind of getting around trying to um, promote the book, tell people about it. And I also run workshops on the book. So that's pretty much uh, where I'm from. I live in Cal- um I commute a lot. I commute to uh, Mississauga and Oakville quite a bit. And uh, so when you speak to parents right now, Susan, from your school or people buying your book, what's the thing that they're talking to you about? What's the biggest thing on parents' minds right now? Well, because I'm in the child care industry, the biggest topic of conversation right now is the reduced fees, the $10 a day child care program. Um, that's what we talk about a lot in terms of, um, you know, day-to-day business. Everybody wants to know when are they getting their money? Um, you know, that's the biggest topic of conversation for anybody in childcare right now um, is how this program is going to roll out. So um, I'm happy to say that all my centers have the program. So we have signed on to the program and we are part of the program and we've already started refunding parents their money and reduce our fees. So I'm really actually happy about this program because it gives parents accessibility, equal accessibility. So cost is not a consideration um, and it's affordable. And so it makes it easier for especially parents with multiple children under the age of six um, to have them all in daycare and still be able to work and afford going to work. So that's the biggest thing I'm hearing these days. That's the biggest news story. Um, there's other stuff that we always talk about. Like we always get the typical questions of, you know, um, eating, sleeping, potty training. Those are all always big topics of conversation. 
I love this. Let's talk about the $10 a day because I don't really <laughs> understand. Can you walk us through a bit? What is the policy? How does it work? How does it actually manifest? Because I think people are kind of confused. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, because there's some daycares that are in, some daycares that are out. So then you're confused, you know, is my daycare in or out? They they will have let you know by now uh, because the deadline was November 1st. So every daycare would have, um, and also this applies to licensed home care as well. So if anybody's in licensed home care or licensed daycare, whether it's licensed anyway, um, they would have had to let you know by November 1st if they're in or out. Now, what I understand is the majority of daycares have opted into the program. What that means is that we're committing to reduce our fees over time up to $10 a day. It's not going to actually be $10. It's going to be what we've been told is $12 a day because it averages out. Um, so they're figuring that the majority of people will be $12 a day eventually. So how it works is the first um, reduction is 25% off fees. So whatever you were paying, it's $25 less now. Um, and then at the end of the year, I think it's December 31st, they're going to reduce them again by another 37%, I believe. So it's going to be almost 50% reduction at that point. Um, and then I believe next year, they haven't uh, told us exactly the details, but they're going to reduce it again one more time. And then eventually by 2025, it's going to be down to that $10 a day averaged out um, over everybody. So um, how it works is you pay less <laughs> for the same daycare that you've been getting. You're actually going to be paying right now 25% less. And at the end of the year, 50% less. So it makes it affordable. Like how? Like, how can you as a daycare provider even make that happen? Because okay. we're talking about day daycares weren't regulated, right? Some daycares yes. were, you know, um, costing parents $500 a month and sometimes $3,000 a month. So yeah. it's a really interesting um, water to navigate. How, like, how do you as a daycare owner, a privatized daycare owner, even afford to be able to offer parents that? Well, it is a subsidy program. So how it works is the government makes up the difference in fees. So for example, if I was charging, I'm just going to throw out a, a round number. This is not what I charge. But um, if I'm charging $100 a day, let's say for daycare, um, I'm now charging the parents $75 a day and the government is giving me the other $25. So it's a revenue replacement model, which means that the government is replacing whatever revenue I would have received from the parents in order to um, provide that program for them. So it's a government initiative. Um, the government is, you know, putting up the money basically <laughs> to reduce the fees. And um, that's what they're doing. I mean, and, and my, I guess maybe this is something you can or can't, but how are they doing that? Like, where is this <laughs> magical money coming from? <laughs> so, well, uh, like it comes from the federal government is where it comes from. So they've set aside a certain, so many billion dollars, I'm not sure how much, um, to offer this program as a national childcare program. So that was one of their initiatives. So it's coming from government funding. So it's coming from your taxes is where it's coming from. Um, you know, you pay your taxes, um, government prioritizes their programs, and this is one of the programs they've put priority on. So uh, the money goes back to you in this way. Where was this four years ago when I had three kids at daycare? Jeez. I know, um, right? I know. Okay. So I, I love this so much. So this is a good thing for parents, right? This is a good thing for you? Oh, yeah. It's a good thing for everybody. I think it's a win-win all the way around because parents, obviously, it's affordable, like I said, and you can get a good high-quality program. 
we consider like we've won awards in our in our uh, all of our daycares and uh, so we're a high quality program so they're going to get that basically at a very cheap price so um you know it's it's a win win parents are winning cuz they're going to get quality program at a great price and we win because it helps us to even out our enrollment so we don't go through those lulls of having you know a lot of kids with a big waiting list and then all of a sudden it drops off usually in september because it's more affordable, there'll be more demand. So it's definitely a win for us to be part of it too. Okay, so let's pivot it. Tell us a bit about the books you wrote. Sure. Um, so I'm really passionate about that right now. Um, so during the pandemic, about two years ago, uh, I was home, um, you know, for three months from April, well, begin the middle of March till middle of June was when we were closed in the daycares. So at that time, I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to sit still. So <laughs> I was figuring, what am I going to do with myself in those three months? Because I had nothing to do. And, you know, as I said, my kids are a bit older, so they don't need me as much. And uh, mom is a big part of my role. So, you know, I thought, what can I do? And I saw that we were having these, um, you know, little online circles um, that we would have with our parents and we'd connect with them. And what I realized when we were doing those circles was the parents were really struggling. They were really having a hard time at home with their kids. They didn't know what to do, how to do, you know, they were just like really struggling. And, you know, they really appreciated us at that time. They're like, how did you, how do you do this every day? Right. So at that time, I thought, well, I want to tell, I want to help parents. I want to tell them basically everything that I know. Um, I have experience as a parent, I have experience as an educator, and I have an experience as a daycare owner. And so I put all that experience together into this book, which is called Learn to Play. And uh, basically what I'm doing is teaching children, I mean, sorry, not teaching children, but teaching parents how to engage with their kids in a way that helps them to learn. Um, so that's why I've titled it Learn to Play. It's not actually the kids that are learning to play. It's the parents that are learning to play. And that play is how they're going to engage with their kids to get the most learning out of them. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Can you give me like one or two high-level examples of ways we as parents can learn to play? So high-level, I would say, I have five principles in the book about how to engage with kids. But one of the first things I say, and one of the most important things is, well, actually two, but okay, I'll, I'll start with one, is really you need to tap into that inner child. So everybody has an inner child. Everybody has something, it's, I call it like a little spark inside you that never goes away. And it's that little child spark. It's very innocent, very childlike. And so inside you, you have that. You've got to tap into it. It makes you playful. It makes you, um, you know, worry-free. You know, you kind of put your worries away when you have, when you tap into this inner child. And once you can get really get good at that, that's how you're going to attract your children to engage with you because children love to engage with other children. And sometimes, you know, all kids love to play with their parents, no doubt about it. But when you can tap into your inner child, you become that much more attractive to your children as well. And so they want to engage with you. They want to um, interact with you in a different kind of way, like the same way they would interact with their peers, right? So um, that's number one. You got to tap into that inner child. You got to figure out how to do that. 
Number two is you've got to follow their lead. So a lot of parents, when they're playing with their kids, they feel the need to become like a teacher. And I say teacher in quotations, like they feel like they need to direct everything, like they're in charge, pretty much coming up with the ideas for the play and then carrying those ideas out. So you're going to follow along with their ideas and you're going to then use their ideas to enhance their learning. So if they're really interested in dinosaurs, let's say, then you would maybe take out a whole bucket of dinosaurs and then you would do some activities with the dinosaurs. Um, So again, you're following along with what they like, but then you can also incorporate some learning. So with those dinosaurs, you can do counting, you can talk about the names of the dinosaurs, you can incorporate some science in there. So you can do so much with what they, the ideas they come up with, you can expand on them. And um, in the end, they're learning. I love that so much. Can you, how how do we tap into our inner child? Like, how do you actually, (laughs) as a parent, we're so busy. We're always working. We're on our phones. It's really bananas to try to make space and time to make that shift. How do you suggest we find our inner child? So, okay. So one thing is the best way to find your inner child is to play with kids. So once you're actually playing and engaging with them, you're kind of, your inner child will, will get that little spark within you kind of starts to, um, it, it gets stronger. I like to say it starts to shine. And so I I think the first thing is you actually have to start playing with them. So just like get on the ground. And I always like to say, get at their level, like don't tower up above them. If they're on the floor, you get on the floor too. If they're at the table, you're at the table. So you're engaging at them at eye level so they can see each other eye to eye. So what number one is you not got to start playing. Number two, I think is be curious, be curious, just have that natural curiosity that I think children have you've got to kind of see the world the way they see it. Everything is new. Everything is different. Everything is not the way you think it is. So kind of like get your imagination kind of going crazy and be curious. Absolutely. You talked about phones. I think number number three, like you got to look up from your phone. If, if you're looking down at your phone, you're not going to tap into that inner child. You got to look up. You got to put the phone down put it on mute and just really be present and be in the moment. And when you're present in the moment and you're playing and that's when the inner child starts to come out and just laugh, just have fun. I, you know, I I read a stat one time that children laugh. I can't remember what it is. Six times more than adults do in a day, or maybe it was even way more than that. I'm not good at remembering stats, but um, it was like, like a lot more. So, even just laughing <laughs> will, will help to that inner child to come out. Yeah. No, I, I love that so much. I think those are such amazing tips. I think we're such a guilty generation of folks who are so in our phones and not looking up that we don't even realize we're not playing. So I really yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guilty too. <laughs> I'm totally oh, yeah. guilty of that. <laughs> I love that so much. So in your book, The Five Principles, um, What's the principle you think is the most uncommonsensical? Like what would is a maybe a reach for just folks who are not educators? Leanne Kim is my go-to resource when it comes to anything starting or growing a successful side hustle or business. She was my business coach for years and has helped tons of the moms in my community build profitable businesses. Leanne knows marketing and sales so well, and she's helping women just like you change their world with their products and services. 
Leanne has a program starting as low as $59 a month, which makes her the best investment for new business owners looking to take their dream to the next level. Um, so I would say probably it's it's the following the lead, I think, is is the big mistake that a lot of parents make when they're not following the lead. But I would say number two is how you talk to your kids. So I would say like how you engage in conversation with them. A lot of parents, when they're talking with their kids, especially in a play situation, they tend to want to th- make it like a test. Like they pepper them with questions like, what color is this? And what color is that? And how many do you have? And how many do I have? And they're trying to like, I understand the good intentions. They want to teach concepts of numeracy, of letters, and all these things. What letter does that start with? That's not the kind of conversation you want to have with your kids, because that's going to pretty much turn them off. I mean, if I was playing with you and I started asking you questions like that and testing you, you'd pretty much, like, shut me down. You'd be, like, walking yeah. away from me and not wanting to play with me. So really, your conversation has to be open-ended. You got to ask questions that don't have a yes or no answer. You have to ask questions like, be curious. Like, what do you think is going to happen if I put my block on top of yours? Or what do you think is going to happen? You Like, try to get them to make predictions about things. That's a more interesting kind of conversation. And that's a learning opportunity. Even just general conversation, like, you know, something I call narration. Narration is a really good tool for building language skills, especially for young children um, who are just starting to speak. If you can label everything and narrate everything, your child is getting so much language. That's what happens actually in daycares. And that's what's different than what happens at home. At home, you have one parent with the child and there's just pretty much very little conversation happening most of the time because it's one person and you're not talking all day, right? So But in a daycare, the teacher is talking almost constantly, and there's several teachers usually talking to the children. So conversation is happening all the time, and children are talking to each other as well. So there's lots of peer conversations happening, even in an infant room, even in a toddler room. So there's, you know, I always hear the story from parents that say, you know, oh, when they got to daycare, um, their language exploded. And that's the reason why it's because we're talking so much. And so there's so much language happening that they're picking up that language. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wonder, so through COVID, I know there was a lot of conversation and maybe you experienced this where kids were very delayed because they weren't having that exposure. Yes, absolutely. And because of the mask covering up the mouth, children learn by looking at your mouth and seeing how the words are formed with your mouth. So if they can't see your mouth, that's a big issue for them. You know, so that delays their language for sure. And their speech. I love that so much. So you have teenagers. I feel like that's a beast of its own. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> if you were to write a book about the five principles of parenting a teenager, what would be on that list in your opinion? I'm totally throwing you like a curveball here, but I'm curious. <laughs> I mean, there's daycare education and it's so clear to me. But when I think about my future mom, I feel like there's so many challenges with every age and stage and so much beauty with every age and stage. But the teenage years feel like ominous and kind of scary. Um, oh. I mean, you know, Susan, I, I, Susie, I don't think you're writing this book right now, but if you were going to, what would be maybe your top one or two principles parenting teenagers? Oh, wow. Okay. So th- that is so difficult because I'm definitely not the expert on that. But um, I would say teenagers want independence. So that's 
kind of always the struggle actually between me and my kids is independence is they're looking for independence and I want to keep them tight. You know, I want to keep them tight in the family. And I always hear people say, you know, especially people who've gone past the teenage years, they'll be like, okay, so your child is going to leave for a little while, but then they're going to come back. So you got to be ready for that, that they're going to leave you for a bit. They're going to like check out. They're going to be, you're not going to be the number one most important thing in their life. They're going to be interested more in their friends than they are in you. Um, you know, when it comes to choice of let's do a family activity together or let's go out with our friends. Their number one choice is always going to be, I'm going out with my friends, right? They don't want to do the family activity. So um, to me, it's like, you just got to let go. That's the number one thing is let go, let them go, let them find their independence. And, you know, if you did everything right up until that point, even if you didn't, they will always come back because they need you. You know, look, I, I look at myself, okay, I'm going to age myself. I'm 51. And I love my parents. I need my parents still. And I, you know, I have a good relationship with them. And I come back to them because I realize how important, you know, when I became a parent, I realized how important my parents were. Yeah. So they will come back to you, but you got to let them go because the whole, the, the more you hold them tight, the, actually the further they'll go away. So wow. you got to let them go and let them have their freedom. Yeah. It's hard though. Cause I'm a mommy. Like yeah. I love having my kids around, but it's so hard when they're not around, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking for me. It's heartbreaking. It's also, I feel like there's so, I feel like I have such innocent kids and my kids are so cute and so innocent. And sometimes I forget how young they are, but I'm sort of petrified um, of this moment where they're like in teens and tweens and they're going to be exposed to people and ideas that like, maybe they're just not like ready for. And to me, that's the scary part. Not that I want to shelter my kids in any yeah. way, but my ones who are, you know, neurotypically developing, um, I think I've had like a little bit of a firsthand experience. I had this 15 year old babysitter living with us for the summer and just some of the stuff that she was managing and exposed to was like, it's scary. It wasn't it even is. like, Oh, like, a oh, wow. like it is scary. It is scary for kids nowadays. I like, I didn't have to, I'm, I feel lucky that I didn't have to grow up with those influences, but they're, they're out there. Like there's scary stuff out there exposed to it. There's, it's hard to keep them away from it. And uh, you just have to just, just keep at it. But um, what you said about the 15 year old, I, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> it's scary. It's scary out there. I'm scared a bit. And I think at the same time, I'm like you, I really feel like so many of our moms are and listeners, like we're mommies, you know, like we love yeah. that mommy identity as much as yeah. it comes with its uh, trials and tribulations and fires and every corner that we need to put out every day. Um, I literally was going to strangle somebody this morning because my kids took 45 minutes to put on their winter gear for the first time. <laughs> I called my husband, like, we're moving to Florida. I'm not dealing with snow scoops. I can't. Um, Listen, I wish I had that right now. Like I miss those days. I do. I, right, miss that's those exactly days. It. I think it's really hard to be present in the moment because I'm like, I'm going to have a breakdown over snow suits. <laughs> and like, I know, you know, big, kids, big kids, big problems, right? Like I don't want to, I don't want to deal with eating disorders and depression and, social issues and boys oh. and sexuality and, yeah. and, uh, you know, bullying, like real bullying, you know, to me, yeah, that's, it's, that's scarier. 
It's funny. It's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll share some uh, personal information here. It's, it's funny. Like just when I think I have my own anxiety under control, then I have to deal with my anxiety about my children's anxiety. It's like, well, what? It's like, I'm worried about my mental health. Now I have to focus on their mental health, which also affects my mental health. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, it, it's, it's scary, but oh, when you talked about neurodivergent or neurotypical, I have a child who's neurodivergent my younger one who's 15. And for him, it's even harder to go through the teen years because he's not neurotypical. A lot of things are confusing. You know, things like sexuality is very confusing for a neurodivergent child. And, um, you know, just working through those things, everything gets that much harder. Like, you know, I feel like everything with neurodivergent, you said you have one as well. Everything is harder at every stage. There's just more complexities there, you know? So uh, it's, it's scary, but it, you know, it's worth it. Like it's worth it because you see the leaps and bounds they make you leap, you see, you know, you're making a difference for that little one. Yeah, absolutely. I think for mine, he's done nine diverse, but he's also medically fragile. So he has a series of other um, issues. But um, when I think about somebody like you, who has so much expertise in this, subject matter. Um, I think about just the breadth and depth of probably knowledge that you have in your head that you would love to continue to share. So um, as we sort of come to uh, the end of our uh, talk today, what what are sort of a few key pieces you would love parents to take away or any of our listeners um, about your wisdom, whether or not it's uh, um, sort of the the teaching yourself to become, um, to play, or if it's anything about um, I guess like the education system when it comes to daycare or teenagehood, you have so much wisdom. What's something you want people to really listen in here today if they hear nothing else? I really want to impress upon people that, especially parents, how important they are to their children's lives, like how important a role they have to play in the education of their kids. Like we used to, we tend to think that, you know, I'll send my child to daycare. They'll get educated there. They'll learn their ABCs there. Or I'll send my child to school. They'll learn everything they need to know in school through the teaching system, through the education system. But I really have a different viewpoint on this. I really feel like education starts at home. Every parent has to understand how important they are to their children's education. And and really, I think the parent is the number one educator like the number one educator, no matter what, they have the most influence over their children. Even if they only see them for an hour in the morning and an hour at night before they go to sleep, because let's say they're in daycare all day um, or in school, whatever the case may be, that one hour is critical because you don't know how much influence you have over your child. You don't know how much they look up to you, how much, like it's just naturally built that way. We are built that way that the family unit that that those caregivers whether it's grandparents or parents you know like you know there's a lot of different kinds of families out there but whoever that caregiver is mom or dad or grandparent or guardian or whoever they are the most important person in that child's life and because they're the most important person especially in the early years then that role of educating them falls on that person and i don't want parents to say oh my gosh 
Like, oh, I got so much going on. How are you going to throw this on me now? Right? Like, I don't want that. What I really, and why I wrote the book is it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be complicated. Teaching your kids happens all the time and it happens in daily activities. You're just going for a walk. You're teaching. You are, um, you know, folding laundry. You're teaching like anything that you're doing with your child is a teaching moment. It's a teachable moment. And just take advantage of those opportunities and knowing those opportunities. And that's kind of what the book goes into is looking at everyday things that you do. It's not like you have to start, you know, getting out a worksheet because I'm totally against worksheets, actually, especially for early years. What you're going to do is take your everyday learning experiences and make them teachable moments, you know, consciously make the effort to make it a teachable moment. Um, and so that's kind of really what I want to impress on pond parents is you it. really have that important role to play and whether you like it or not, it's your role. Like I love it. you can't shy away from it. <laughs> I love it so much. Thank you so much, Susie. I feel like we just scratched the beginning with you. Um, and I hope we're going to see a lot more of you hopefully over the course of the year. So um, if you want to follow you or find out where your social or LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, can you just walk us through a bit? We'll link it in the podcast, but can you just tell us a bit, where can somebody sure. find you and get more Susie? Okay. So our website is called alphasdiscoveryclub.com. That's our daycare website. The book website is the four pillars of learning.com. Actually, it's four pillars of learning.com, not the the. Um, and then on social, you can follow us on Instagram, Alphas Kids. On Facebook, we're Alphas Preschool. And uh, yeah, connect with me. I'm always like out there wanting to educate and not just educate children, but educate parents too. Susie, everybody, thank you so much for being with us today on the podcast. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again really soon. Thanks, thank everyone. Thank you. It was such a pleasure talking. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mom Halo podcast, I love your support by sharing it with others, posting about us on social, or leaving a really good rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at the Mom Halo. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Cookies and Cribs Sleep Consulting helps parents like yourself teach healthy, independent sleep habits from the age of newborn to five years old. Alana Ozeal will teach your little one to sleep through the night, give you and your partner your nights together, and that little break that we all need at the end of the day. Cookies and Cribs will create a personalized sleep plan for your little one to give you the confidence and support each day working together. Book your free consultation today on the website and receive 10% off your services.